sure did. Well, some notes here. I use stick em notes and stuff, and one of them dropped. Not that it amounts to anything. I have to remind myself of all kinds of things. Thank you. I had a dream this morning, early this morning, had a dream. And uh, I guess we always dream. Doesn't mean anything. But I was upset in my dream because I couldn't remember how we start Sunday morning Bible class. And I kept thinking about that, and I was worried about that, and I kept tossing about that in my dream. How do I start it? I can't remember. How am I supposed to start? And then somehow in the middle of this dream, it occurred to me. Gail gets up and leads a prayer, and Charlie gets up and leads a song, and I thought, okay, that's the way we do it. And I, and I was satisfied in my dream. Isn't that a crazy thing? Subconscious somehow working or other. I don't know for those of you who understand these things, you can probably interpret that for me. I don't believe in those things. But anyway, this morning Bible class was on my mind early this morning. <laughs> and I want to thank you, Gail, for the prayer and thank you, Charlie, for the song. And I find myself in Acts chapter 5. Last Sunday we were looking at the disciplinary action which God gave Ananias and Sapphira, and we were studying that. We were studying about God's discipline and why, and we were trying to understand as best we could how that God was not going to allow this to go unpunished, and he punished them right then, didn't he? And we turned to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and we looked at verse 6 as a helpful passage to understand God's punishment, how that it's a just thing for God to punish the wayward and the wicked. And that great verse has a lot of implication for us, not only for Ananias and Sapphira and the lesson that that contains, but also for the end of time and the lesson that contains with regard to the wicked outside of Christ. And so we see how significant this matter of punishment is concerned, how it is and how it's concerning the early church. It must have been a frightful thing for them because you have passages such as verse 11 and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. It's Acts 5 and verse 11. So it had its desired effect. God punished these people for lying to God. And Peter said, you've lied to God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And so you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. Why would you do that? Of course, you understand the context. Context was that they had brought this contribution and laid it at the apostles' feet, a figure of speech showing submission and allowing them to have the use of those funds, implying, I think, a church treasury in the very beginning of the church. And so he said, why did you do that? You didn't have to give the whole thing. I suppose they wanted to do that to get the respect and have the impression that they were so pious and generous, just like Barnabas. Barnabas. Barnabas did that in chapter 4. So when they saw Barnabas do that, and I, I think that is by implication. I don't know. But Barnabas had done that in chapter 4. They did it in chapter 5, but the motive was all wrong. And so we see that the devil is challenging the church and trying his very best to thwart the work of the church, even in the very beginning. We've seen these persecutions that are arising, and more persecutions will transpire here in chapter 5. But in uh, chapter 3, chapter 4, how that Peter healed the, the lame man there at the temple, and then they brought him in and chastised him for that. 
and scolded him and said, don't be preaching in the name of Jesus anymore. And he went right out and preached about Christ in the temple. We're going to learn about that as well. And about verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. The church was growing. And they saw the great miracles which were being performed. They saw the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And I think that may be the secret to church growth right there. In fact, I, I know it is. I just don't think it is. I know it is. Teaching the Word of God and spreading the seed which is the Word of God. Helping people see the gospel of Christ. Helping them understand what the message really is. To such an extent that even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them in verse 15. Now read carefully there. I don't know that verse 15 said that the shadow ever cured anybody or healed anybody. But now that's what they were saying and that's what they were doing. They were putting the sick and the lame out there and those who were weak so that even his shadow, as he walked by, his shadow might fall upon them and they be healed. But the passage doesn't say they were healed. Now I'm going to read another passage which might imply that they were. But before I get to that, let me make a comment about the, the hymn of uh, Jesus' garment and the handkerchiefs of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. These did cure people. And when a woman touched Jesus' garment, she was healed. And that's in Matthew chapter 9. In Acts chapter 19, then you have the aprons and the, and the handkerchiefs and that kind of thing, the Apostle Paul, which did heal people. And so those particular matters did take place. Now, whether the shadow of Peter actually healed somebody, I don't know. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Now the verse that may imply that even that was miraculous. Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. So I don't know. Maybe the shadow had something to do with it. I know the shadow by itself had nothing to do with it. But maybe God used that as a medium by which they may be healed. Sir. Well, they were, they were seeing. I don't know if faith was a requirement for healing. But I would say that uh, they were being healed and they saw how that these matters uh, came about because of the apostles which confirmed the word, of course. And, you know, we've made that point a number of times, Mark 16 and 20. So I don't know about the faith part of them. You see, people were raised from the dead who didn't have faith. And so I don't know that it was a matter of faith that was necessary for them to have that. But now they saw. So they were coming to faith. I'll give you that. They were coming to faith in Christ and faith in the apostles. But the point that I had in my mind in verse 16 was, and they were all being healed. And so they were healing them all by whatever means God decided to do that through the apostles or whatever. But I think it's an interesting point with regard to the matter of the shadow. Now, Marvin had a point here for me. Yeah. And it's, it's to uh, help them grow 
in their understanding of the Word of God and prove the Word of God, though that would cause them to grow in faith. And so I see the point that you're making. Yes, sir. Well, in our case right here in Acts chapter 5, they're probably coming for the healing. I think they're probably coming for the healing. I don't know that they have any obedient faith yet, but they're coming for the healing, but they will grow in that. Now, we just read a passage where they, the church was being added to regularly, daily, and this is probably the result of that. Uh, 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. We see this come up again in verse 28. So they came to an obedient faith, but as to why they actually came, I suspect it was just to receive the healing. Now, the healing was miraculous. Now, that was a big deal. Uh, the Bible uses uh, words like signs, wonders, uh, miracles. These were, just in my own limited way, these were a big deal. And they could see that it was an actual miracle. And, and the focus that we always think about is it happened just the way it said it happened because there's such a tendency today to play down the miracles of the Bible. But these miracles happen just like the Bible says they happen. Now, they don't happen today, but they happened then. Now, people come to worship and they come to congregations for all kinds of different reasons today. But... Um, uh, why they came back then, I suspect it was for the healing, and that was the emphasis. They could see that. They could see this is the work of God. They could see that these were men of God, that God was working through them. They could see that, and they wanted the benefit of that. Now, they would come to an obedient faith uh, as they would see the results of this, as the verse pointed out. And... Um, uh, let me jump on down to verse 28 while we're talking about this in this vein, saying, now this is the rulers talking to the apostles, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and in intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, we need to analyze that passage, but let me just use it as a reference that they filled the Jerusalem, they filled the environs of Jerusalem with the teaching. So with the teaching and the miracles verifying the teaching, these people were coming to an obedient faith. So these are both good questions and comments, and um, uh, please, um, uh, I'm always grateful for your comments and always grateful for your questions as they, they come to mind. And keep in mind that when you ask a question, make a comment, it's helping somebody else as well. They may have the same question in their mind, and we want to deal with it if we can. That brings me to about verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with all the, his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. 
And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So we see that um, this does not, this great success that the gospel is having and the church is having does not go unchallenged by Satan. He's working through these people. These people being the, the high priests, Pharisees, Sadducees particularly. Sadducees keep coming up because they're the ones that consider themselves, we're the teachers of the law here, not you guys, not you apostles. We're the educated, we're the, we got this union going our way. We don't want you trying to bust the union up. You know, we're not going to recognize you as teaching. We're the people under control here, and we don't want you teaching. Besides, we don't want you teaching about Jesus. This is not our agenda. We've got another agenda here. And so to do something about that, they have them arrested. And I think the passage is implying that all the apostles were arrested. Now, before, we've had Peter and John arrested. Peter arrested. <clears throat> They're going to be arrested again. And uh, here, but I think we got all the apostles. Notice uh, he says the priest rose up, the high priest rose up, along with all his associates. That is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. That's their motive. They were jealous. You know, these guys, these guys aren't certified union preachers. We got to have, you know, we got to have a certified union preacher here to preach the doctrine we say preach. Otherwise, we're going to get you out and not going to allow you to do that publicly. But, you know, they just didn't realize that God was in control of this and not them, and that this was the message of God. And they were proving that by the miracles which they were performing by God's power. So by the time you get to verse 17, we see another persecution coming about upon the church. So take note of the fact at this particular point in time in the history of the church, the persecution is coming from the Jews. Later on, it's going to be the Romans. Further later on from that, the Roman Empire is going to make Christianity illegal. You cannot worship God. You cannot, Christians cannot worship. They cannot assemble. And yet, <clears throat> now, further later than that, toward the end of the century, Caesar, the emperor, he is God. Domitian is Lord God. You must worship him. And so you see the persecution that continually comes upon the church, which Jesus said, the righteous will be persecuted. And that has not changed. It is still the case even today. So this sect, this translation uses the word sect in verse 17. The word sect means some heretical group. That's what they were calling Christianity, a sect. Of course, Christianity was not some heretical group. But they, in the eyes of the Sadducees, they were a sect, and they viewed themselves in this regard. That is the sect of the Sadducees, the group, the heretical group, the Sadducees. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, go stand and speak. Have you ever seen that happen where the door just opens up by itself? I did. It's at the grocery store. You walk to the grocery store, 
The door just opens up by itself. You walk right on in, and it's a pretty cool thing. But now, that's a mechanical device. Uh, here, in a jail, it doesn't work that way. It's not going to work that way in a public jail. you got these apostles in a public jail, and it's under guard, and the door is just going to open up. But now, keep your thought and focus on that. I'm going to come back to it a little later, and I hope I remember to, but at any rate, I... I'm going to come back to the fact that it does say an angel of the Lord opened the gates. Now, these gates no doubt had guards, and they no doubt had um, people who were involved in overseeing the uh, jail, and yet they don't understand still how they got out of there. But we'll come to that in just a minute. Another point that I want to bring up at this time as it comes to my mind is God is telling them, you go to the most dangerous place and you teach the most dangerous lesson, which is the gospel. The most dangerous place for them to be right now is the temple. And God sends them out. Now, stop and think what might have happened here, what could have happened but did not happen, but could have happened. These apostles would have said, okay, the people are not going to be receptive to the message. Let's give it up. Let's don't do it. Let's don't try it. Because it's not going to work. After all, Jesus died. Jesus is gone. If they had taken that approach, the church would have never gotten going. It would have never got going. It would have stopped, and it would have been destroyed by that. That's what Satan wanted. You and I study on Wednesday night how Satan used poor Job and the suffering that he went through and how that Satan used the three friends and then used his wife against him and that kind of thing. Satan's doing that here. He's using the Jews and the Sadducees, the very people that ought to be receptive to the will of God and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, are being used against the church of the Lord, which was in God's mind in the very beginning, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. So he tells them, I want you to go, stand, and speak. And so you've got those uh, verbs there that are imperative, go, stand, and speak. Go to the most dangerous place and speak the most dangerous lesson, which is about the gospel, which they did. Now, my point is, if they had not, that would have been the end of the church. Now, this is similar to Acts chapter 16, but we'll study that on another day. Go, stand, and speak, verse 20, to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Well, that's the gospel message of Jesus that he's talking about. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, <clears throat> and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back. Now, that's the point that I have in mind. How is it that you guys got out of there? How is it that you guys didn't know that they got out of there? And so they go to the prison expecting to find the prisoners, but the prisoners aren't there. Well, we know how they got out of there. We've read this passage about an angel of the Lord in verse 19, getting them out of the prison, miraculously so. And now they're down at the temple doing what they were doing before, doing what they were told not to do. This translation, I don't know if you have it in yours, uses the word senate, senate. And I thought that's interesting. 
Now, when the high priest, this is 21, and his associates, we've learned who those guys are, came, they called the council together, even all the senate. Do you have senate in your translation? Do you have elders there? Okay. Now, this is the Sanhedrin that we're talking about. Uh, evidently, this word senate or is for Theophilus and for his benefit. Go back. You remember Theophilus? Where was he? Um, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, that'd be the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. <coughs> I wonder if he used this Roman word, this Greek word for Theophilus and his benefit. He does say they called the council together, even all the senate, even all the council, even all the Sanhedrin of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors, but when we had opened up, we found no one inside. And so this is kind of an amazing thing here. How did this happen? We don't know how this happened. Uh, the doors are locked. The, the guards are there. But nobody's inside the prison. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, verse 24, about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned, verse 26. Now, I can only kind of put two and two together here, and as this temple guard, this prison guard goes up, he says to Peter and the rest of the apostles, look, I got orders to uh, arrest you guys. I got orders to arrest you and take you back to the council. They want you back there, and I want you back here right now. Now, if they had taken them by force, why, well, it would have incited a riot. You got a lot of people here that are coming and listening. They're being healed, and they don't want this to happen. So these guys are kind of between a rock and a hard place, as we sometimes put it. We got orders, but yet we don't want to start a riot here with these people. They'll stone us if we do that. And guess what? The apostles go. Now, this is the guy who pulled out a sword not too long ago and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. He's hot-headed. He's impetuous. He's driven. He's got all kinds of leadership qualities about him. But he quietly goes. This is a different Peter, isn't it? He understands. He's matured. He has the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's an inspired apostle of Christ. And so I'm not saying that the temple guard and the captain went up to him alone. He went up to all the apostles. But at the same time, I don't see anything in here about these apostles trying to resist arrest. They comply. They comply. Um, it is an attitude that um, 
we might take note of. We might take note of. Now here, as modern men and women in a, a society that we have, and we have certain rights and privileges under our Constitution and legal system, we might protest. He doesn't say anything about protesting here. My suggestion, if that ever happens, to me or to you is comply. And then you'll have your day in court, just like they had their day in court. You'll have your day in court. You cooperate and you comply. And that's what he's saying here. And that's what they did. I don't see anybody resisting arrest. I don't see anybody saying, oh, yeah, uh, who told you to do that? I don't see any arguing going on. I see them going along with the, um, um, with the captain. And I think, you know, if this had been some other man-made world religion, I wonder what Muslims would have done here. I wonder what um, people like that would have done. They would be very militaristic. They would be ready to fight. And they would be willing to kill. But the gospel of Christ doesn't act that way. The gospel of Christ doesn't teach that. The gospel of Christ is a gospel of peace. And it's the gospel of truth. It is the gospel. And is the religion for all men everywhere. And it is an example here of them complying and going to trial and have their day in court. And so in 26, then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. And I've often thought, <clears throat> how many times I've seen religious-minded people. They're religious. They may not be Christians, but they're religious people get into a scuffle and an argument and a demonstration over this or demonstration over that and um, defying the civil authorities over this, that, or the other. Uh, and really, it hurts your cause when you do that. And I think that may be what we have here. The inspired apostles realize we will not hurt our cause. We will not bring reproach upon the Christ. We will not minimize the significance of the church and the people that are being added to the church, we will comply. And so they did. And so when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. Now, if I were the high priest, I'd have some questions too. Gail. Well, now that's a good point Gail makes. We, it's an obvious miracle here. They could not have escaped by themselves. There's no way they had a chisel or a pick or something like that and tunneled out of there. I mean, obviously God miraculously did this as it says. An angel came and, and freed them. Why didn't they see that? Why didn't they benefit from the miracle which had taken place? Like these other people who had miracles performed in their life. These people are being healed, and yet at the same time, they're 
obeying the gospel. They're responding to the gospel. They're being added to the church. Oh, why didn't I can only suspect that their prejudice and their uh, preconceived ideas prevented them from thinking that way. Yes, sir. Well, now that's a good point. See, Charlie makes a good point. They do just exactly what the Lord told them to do. Go stand and speak. And it's like Charlie said, they didn't cut and run. Uh, they went back to doing what they were told to do and what they were doing in the beginning. This is what God wants. God knew <clears throat> how important it was for them to continue to preach. That's why he brought them out of prison to begin with. Now, James is killed by Herod the king, Acts chapter 12. He didn't save James. Sometimes they were saved, sometimes they were not saved. These men will be martyred, all with the exception of John. I mean, sometimes they were saved, sometimes were not. God used them to fulfill his divine plan. And that divine plan was for the growth of the church. And the church is growing. In fact, it's got marvelous growth. People are being added to the church. Now, to be added to the church means they're obeying the gospel. Romans 1 and 5 that is, repenting of sin and being baptized. They're accepting this. They're realizing and confessing Jesus is Christ. They're being added to the church. Yes, sir? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Right, you know? right. So it's a perfect scenario, mm. you know, on, because it took them completely off guard. They were so confused. <coughs> you know, I, I get caught up in their mindset. Yeah. And what they were thinking. Yeah. You know, and, and what his word did to them and how it touches people and how it can make all the difference in somebody's life. This word. Exactly. And, and uh, it fascinates me. Well, me too. I'm... I'm with you on that. I, I uh, think the same way, and, and it's very clear from this that they used the spiritual sword rather than a physical sword and were more productive and effective that way than if they had started to write. If they had started to write, it could have been the end of the church, but they knew, God knew what he wanted done. He knew how important it was, and these men acted accordingly. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As lights in the world, at verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And it's, it's more, like you say, it's more about complying. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think you're right, Marvin. Marvin is referenced Philippians 2, their beautiful passage beginning in verse 14. And, uh, but think about it also in line with this and what Marvin is saying is these men are being treated like criminals, but they didn't behave like criminals. They were treated like criminals, and they wanted the people to think of them as being criminals. They send the captain of the guard out there with his, his uh, deputies, 
bailiffs or whatever you want to call them, and they arrest them. But they're being treated like it. But they didn't behave like criminals. They behaved, they behaved with dignity and decorum as God would want them to understanding that Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 10, people are going to persecute you. People are going to beat you. And uh, they're going to uh, reject you. And so we see that happening out in the life of the apostles right here. And I thank all the apostles. Now the question that he asks in verse 28 we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <clears throat> that wouldn't have been my question. My question would have been, how'd you guys get out of there? My question would have been, how did you guys do that? But this guy's smart. He probably had an idea how it happened. And he doesn't want to give opportunity for Peter to stand up and say, God has performed a great miracle here, whereby he's, giving, he's going to give God the credit for that. And this guy doesn't want that. And so he avoids that question. That would have been the first question on my mind. How'd you guys do that? But anyway, he doesn't give opportunity for Peter to give God the credit for what has happened. So he says to them, we told you not to do this and you did it anyway. He says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. That's the key to church growth. That's the key. Now, that doesn't happen all different kinds of ways. It can ha happen by means of public address, sermon on Sunday, me teaching you, you teaching somebody else, somebody else teaching somebody other. It can happen in all sorts of different ways. But the key to church growth is teaching the Word of God to other people and helping them understand and see what they need to do to be pleasing in the sight of God. But notice how that they did this. They intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, this man's blood is upon them. Now, they want to act like they didn't do it. But they were the ones that kept crying, crucify, crucify Jesus. But you know how they're thinking? Those Romans did that. We didn't do that. The Romans did that. The Romans are the ones that nailed, put the nails in his hands and hung him on a cross. But they're just as guilty as the Romans. And so they're trying to say, you're trying to blame us for his death. You're trying to tell everybody it was us. Well, when these events are happening, Pilate's trying to turn him loose. But they say, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Well, here it is. But now they don't want to own up to that. They want to make out like <clears throat> it's the um, Romans that did all this bad work. Then Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We're going to obey God here. And that has sort of become the bat battle cry with regard to the Christian. We must obey God rather than men. We've got to understand what the Word of God says. And when God's Word conflicts with man's law, we obey God's Word. Now that's the way it is. And that's the, what it means to be a faithful Christian. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. You did it. Now, this preacher is not the kind to try to win friends and influence people by being nice about it. This guy is being very plain. He is on trial. And the rest of the apostles are on trial. He said, I want to tell you something. You're the ones that did it. 
it wasn't just the Romans. Romans had their part to play in it as well, but you had your part to play in it, and that you, in turn, hung him on a cross. Now, my translation has cross, verse 30. Your translation may have tree, and of course, uh, the condemnation of cross, the condemnation of the tree. Sometimes the word cross or tree is used as synonymous with a, uh, each other. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a, hangs on a tree. And Jesus is the one who took the curse of sin and paid the price and the penalty for sin. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior. Now he uses the word, Jesus is the savior. And you might want to mark that word, underline that particular word in your text. If I recall properly. It's the first time the word Savior is used in the book of Acts. It's found for us in Acts 5 and 31. To grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. It's only through Jesus and through this resurrected Christ. So it's a pretty powerful sermon that he preaches here right in front of everybody. He's saying he's raised from the dead. He's the Savior. He grants repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. To grant repentance or give repentance means he gives Israel the opportunity to repent and receive forgiveness. He's not going to forgive you without the repentance. And you got to repent. You got to change. Well, I'm waiting for God to repent me. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the language works. I have to repent and God will forgive. Repent is my part. Forgiveness is God's part. When I do my part, God will give me the attended blessing, which of course in this case is repentance, forgiveness of sin. Repentance is my part, changing my life. Repentance is a great word, important word. It's not an easy thing to do to repent, to change my life and do as the Bible tells me to do. And forgiveness See, even in forgiveness, in that word is inherent in the idea there's something I've got to do here to receive forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses of these things. We saw it. We're here to testify. Now, he told them back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so here we are. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And I think he's referencing here for us Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and various passages such as Galatians 4 and 16. And I think what he's referencing in this passage here is the idea that the gift, not gifts, there were the gifts of the Holy Spirit which the apostles had and certain ones upon whom the apostles had laid their hands. But there is the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and he gives that to all who obey him. Now, we all have to admit that. We all have to admit the gift. But now, we all may not agree on the how of the gift, but we all must agree that there is a gift. And, of course, uh, I, I feel strongly about the how. But at any rate, a lot of good brethren see it in a different way. But I think this particular passage helps us understand that it is given to all who obey. All receive. How do you receive? How, how does the Spirit dwell? That kind of thing is another issue. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. All right, that's it. We're going to do away with them. 
And that word cut, it says here, cut to the quick. It means he really ran a sword right through their heart. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Gamaliel, this is a pretty famous rabbon. Rabbon means our teacher, our rabbi. Rabbi means my great one. Rab is the Hebrew word for great, much more. You add a personal suffix, it's my great, much more. My teacher, my great one, rabbi. We got a rabbon here. This rabbon is everybody's rabbi. He's a very influential teacher of the law, the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, which is one of the great famous rabbis of the uh, uh, Hebrew nation. And this uh, rabbi has some pretty serious, uh, Gamaliel has some pretty serious uh, counsel to give them. But I want to say this, that when Gamaliel stood up and said something, everybody listened. Everybody listened. Who's that guy on TV where they've got the and when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Have you heard that old commercial? <clears throat> I don't know who that is, and I never heard him. Even if I had, I probably wouldn't listen. But at any rate, when Gamaliel spoke, everybody listened. But now my time is gone, and I'll have to come back to chapter 5 at about verse 36. And I want to analyze the advice of Gamaliel. Now, the scriptures are inspired. But Gamaliel's not an inspired speaker. The scriptures are, are preserving and relating exactly what happened and what was said. But what was said came from a man who's not inspired. So let's see, Gamaliel's not inspired. Luke's inspired, who wrote the scripture here, but Gamaliel is not. So we're going to see exactly and analyze Gamaliel's uh, advice. At any rate, uh, make a long story short here, the apostles are beaten and turned loose. They let them go, but not after being beaten and beaten severely. Well, I'm going to have to stop there. I wish I had more time to keep going and study on further, but I'll start with Acts 5:36 next time, Lord willing.